0: The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, for he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, then why don't you save yourself? There was written a notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him as well, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, or he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining. And that's the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray together again, please. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing and offering unto you, Lord, because you are our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you hear nowadays about conspiracies on just a morphed-out level. Everywhere there's conspiracies, it seems, that crop up and are promoted about things that happen, events that occur. And that is no less the case with with religion and with the scriptures. There are those that call into question the gospels, the four stories of Jesus' life and what happened. Uh, those controversies seem to unseat or try to push aside the importance of who Jesus was. But we that believe that he was indeed the Son of God, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead to give us eternal life, know that there is truth to be known in all of this. And yet from the cross, there's a few controversies from his saying today that I want to share with you and tell you how it is that they uh, they speak truth to us. And the first of those is the controversy of the comma, if you will. Yes, I'm talking about punctuation, the little mark that goes under the line that your words are written on. I don't know if you're aware, but back in in 2017, there was a a nationwide controversy about, about the Oxford comma. Do you know what the Oxford comma is? Does anybody know what the Oxford comma is? Oh, come on, I know there's some retired teachers you know what the Oxford comma is. There was a controversy about whether or not the Oxford comma was necessary in writing anymore. And why it matters is because that comma would separate three items that you put into a sentence as a list. You know what I'm talking about. Um, For instance, I put a, a sentence up that you can read along with on the screen Pastor Mark's sermon about Jesus speaking from the cross was poignant, comma, pithy, comma, and pungent. Now, if you don't know what any of those or all of those words mean, don't look them up on your phone during the sermon. Look them up after the service. But my point is, you see where the comma and is, the controversy was do we need to even put that comma after all, the Oxford comma. And the reason is because there are quickly changing rules about grammar, about punctuation and spelling, and you know why, don't you? Because we live in an electronic age where everybody carries a pocket computer and those of us of the higher class with opposable thumbs communicate that way. And the best method for that, it is found, is that the shortest is the best altogether. So do you need to add that comma, as, as has been the case for hundreds of years in the English language? It probably doesn't seem like much of a big deal to us or to you. But it was in 2017, and it was uh, creating a great splash. There were even social media pages cropping up about which celebrities were, were pro-Oxford comma and which ones were anti-Oxford comma. And it may just seem like a lot of... A lot of junk to you, what difference can a comma make anyway, right? Right. Well, in fact, it can make a big difference. And in the scripture for today, there is a comma that no one knows where it's supposed to go. To the next screen, when Jesus said, truly I tell you today, uh, you will be with me in paradise, he could have meant one or two things, but we do not know, because the translation of the language that the Bible is written in the Gospel into English did not have commas involved with it. And so, it could be, and long debated, is did Jesus mean with the comma being in the first place in the sentence on the screen behind me, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise? Did he mean that the penitent thief who asked forgiveness would automatically when Jesus died, and he did too, be ushered into heaven with him? Or did Jesus mean, as in the second case, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see how the comma makes all the difference, right? Right. Yeah, long debated is what happens to us when we pass away, those of us that are people of faith and and believe that Jesus was risen from the grave and that, that we are given... A place in eternity and in his kingdom, new kingdom, fulfilled on earth as it has been in heaven, will we automatically go there when we die or will we not until Jesus comes back in his glory and fullness? It's a perplexing question that really there's not a clear answer to in the scriptures and is oft debated. And yet, yet we do know that Both of these ways at looking at what Jesus said should be true for us in life and faith. When we die, will we go and be with Jesus immediately? Yes, we believe that by his hand we'll be ushered into the place where he is until God's kingdom is fulfilled and reigns on earth and we find our place here with him. But in the meantime, The beauty of the first comma is that it lets us know that even in death, we are not without the one whom we choose to follow and spend our lives chasing after and pursuing with hopefully a love like he pursues us with. Though in the second place of the comma, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise, gives to us a whole other level of of understanding that God's grace, Jesus' death on the cross, was sufficient for all sins, not just our little ones, but even great big ones as well. That's the second controversy of this scripture today and of this statement of Jesus, is the scandal of his innocence, of his having to die for, for the sins of the world, for sinners big and small. Sinners, great and, and just little itty-bitty sinners like maybe we would hope to be. There was, a, in fact, on his death in the cross, a, a scandal of, of grace that the great God above who created the universe, who, who created us and breathed life into us, would humble himself to the human level in his son Jesus and walk the earth and have the human experience, but even more scandalous to the world is that God would have to, to allow his son to die on the cross, to forgive us of our sins. It's scandalous, that kind of love, isn't it? Paul says elsewhere, in, in Romans I believe, that, that someone might, in fact, put their life on the line or die for a good person, especially if it's a really good person. We might be willing to sacrifice ourselves, but, but not for a sinner, not for somebody that doesn't deserve it. And yet Jesus was the sacrifice, the the lamb without blemish, pure and spotless, that the penitent thief largely recognized when he said this man did nothing. He's innocent to be here. And yet Jesus willingly, beautifully, went on that good Friday to make it good for us and all of the world to forgive us of our sins, great and small, His grace, His price on the cross, His atonement covers all of our sins. This past Monday, I had jury duty. Guilford County Courthouse with about 120-something other people crowded into a room wondering how long we were going to have to be there. Uh, It's the fourth time I've been called by Guilford County. And it's always a privilege to go and get to participate in that and celebrate that we have this blessed right, this gift to have trial by jury. But everybody there, let's not kid ourselves, we're thinking, man, are we going to be able to walk away and not have to serve on a jury today? I had rearranged my schedule. I had to put things off for another week or two weeks, actually, because I had been planning to do them. They had to clear my schedule and be there and be ready to serve, and I was. And after a couple of hours of checking in, of sitting, of waiting, and we got the message, there will be no jury today. And so we were all relieved. There was a sigh of relief, and everybody went their way. Well, I had promised, and this, this was really a God thing. I had promised myself that if I did not have to serve and I had that extra time downtown, that I would go make a visit that I've, I've needed to make. And it's been several months since I've, I've been by to check on him. And it's a kid, really technically a young man now, but a kid who is in the Guilford County Jail downtown. And I go every month, try to, sometimes it goes into three months, to go and check on him and see how he's doing. He's there awaiting trial for, for um, things that he has been accused of doing um, that leave him in a very troubled place, with a very troubled road ahead. It's, uh, it's a difficult thing to go and, and visit, and yet, yet I must, I need to, he needs hope, and he needs comfort, and he needs encouragement along life's way, just like anybody would. And he is a kid. I call him a kid, uh, number one, because he's the age of my youngest child, 21, but still uh, the age of my youngest child. Uh, secondly, he was, was a kid, uh, technically, when he, when he did what it is they said he did and was arrested and put there. It's a a tough thing to see a kid that's come from a very troubled background get involved in a side of life that leads him to a place of of darkness and hopelessness. I can't imagine being locked up for as long as he has, and yet, yet it's the reality for him, and he's making do the best he can. I was blessed on Monday to get to have an hour to spend with him by video conference just to talk and laugh a little bit. He wanted to know how life was and what was going on. I, to be honest, a lot of times don't have the words to say. I don't know what to tell him. How do you give a word of comfort or hope even to someone that is in a situation like that? I, I just rely on the Holy Spirit to give me the words that I do not know how to speak that he needs to hear. And I don't know if those are right or wrong. I do know I always read some scripture to him from my Bible, and we discuss that a little bit, and I ask him about his faith. I know that we always close with a prayer. I pray for him. I pray for um, his trial that is forever upcoming. I know that I always tell him I love him. And I tell him his church loves him. And I tell him most of all that Jesus loves him. And I remind him that he even... Facing what he's facing was worthy to be died for on the cross by God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't change the the scenario of of the court system and of the world and, and of what he is going to have to go forward in this world, but it does change things and give hope to a place that is beyond the darkness of this world that we all long for and we all desire to have, and we all need. And it is a place that escapes this world, and the darkness and the humanness of it, and, and the grit and the grime and the insults that are hurled, and the, the doubt that is cast on us by those that would, would suggest maybe we really aren't who it is that we think God says we are in the first place. I like to think that on that cross with the penitent thief and the other one too and all of those that were there that Jesus showed a love that was was beyond measure undeserved scandalous that someone would die for a thief someone that was no count had done nothing good in the world so it seemed at that time and yet Jesus says you are worthy and Today, you will be with me as I go from this place to the next. That's the last controversy I want to mention today, and that is, that is the controversy of, of paradise. Because Jesus says it plain and simply, where it is he is going after he takes his last breath upon the cross. And he talks a lot about, throughout his teachings, his, his parables about heaven and about hell. About the two destinations, which we will go one way or the other after this life comes to a close, and we will not have a choice to which place we end up. The choice is now, the choices in how we live and and whose we are and how we, we live in God's grace and love and, and in the ways that Jesus calls us to. But the pervasiveness of paradise rang so loudly and clearly they're at the cross. And we need to hear that today, that there's a greater place than the dimness of this world, because it's broken, isn't it? Yeah, it's broken. When something's broken and it's not working, we can say it's broken. And we tried to fix it, and a lot of people have tried to fix it, and the church has tried to fix it, and Governments have tried to fix it, and education systems have tried to fix it, and not just in the past 30 or 40 years or hundreds of years, but for thousands of years, we tried to make right this world that is wrong, and we keep coming up short every time. It's a great comfort and a great soul-giving, life-breathing gift to us to know that this world is not the end. It's not our destination. It's not our home. And it's a beautiful thing to know that that God has sent one into the world to be, well, the judge of of us when we go to meet our Father in heaven. It is a beautiful thing to know that Jesus has come into this world and He has paid sacrifice and price and consequence for our sin and the the eyes of Almighty God, so that we may one day day, enter into the courts of God by going by the hands of Jesus. Did you notice the different attitudes between the two thieves hanging there on the cross? Yeah, in this picture that I've chosen, you see one that's looking away towards us, and you get the feeling that he's the one that's angry and mad, saying, hey, if you are the Messiah, then... Get yourself out of this fix and get us out of it, too. And you figure the one looking at Jesus, speaking to him, is the one that knows that he's done nothing wrong, and yet he's there offering forgiveness, giving the gift of grace, and inviting all of us to come and to follow him and be a part of it. Maybe it is that they're looking at all wrong looking at it all wrong. They're so earthly focused that they can't think beyond the things of this world. And yet Jesus invites us to paradise, to a place that is beyond the brokenness of this world, to live in the here and now and ultimately with him and with all of us that go by faith in the end. And do you know that penitent Thief, Give him credit because he asked, didn't he? You never know what you're going to get in life unless you ask for it first. Am I right? I've been turned down for a lot of things I've asked for, but, but I've been sweetly surprised and gifted with grace by some things that I did not deserve and yet I asked for. I have a colleague, Tim Roberts, who is uh, North Wilkesboro First United Methodist Church pastor now. And he told the story several times to me before about pastoring a church up near Marion, North Carolina before that. And this was about 15 years ago when he was, well, when we were uh, younger, I guess, if you will. And thinking that we were gonna change the world and our hearts were on fire and we were ready to preach everything. Oh, uh, there's nobody that could stop us. Yeah, and I really, um, really admire that about young preachers that are coming into ministry, and, and I'm inspired by them now, uh, later in in my time. But Tim, one time, had a great idea and thought, well, I'm just going to call up Billy Graham and ask if he can come and preach at my church one Sunday. This was during Billy Graham's retirement phase. He was living in Black Mountain, North Carolina, not too far from Marion, and, and was uh, still involved with the Billy Graham Evangelical Association and the center that they run there to train people in sharing the gospel. Well, he got a refusal, of course, that Dr. Graham's a very busy man. He's still flying around the world and preaching to crowds of hundreds of thousands of people. But lo and behold, about three and a half months later, he got a call back. He didn't know who the woman was, but she identified herself and talked about his earlier inquiry. and. It was Billy Graham's secretary, and she said he has a date coming available to come and preach at your church. And Tim said, I just never got around to letting her know. I know it sounds crazy, but I just never got around to letting her know if that date was okay or not. But he would have never known if Billy Graham would have come and preached at his church had he not asked. And the criminal that was on the cross, convicted, dead in his sin, soon to be, would never know if he could go with Jesus to the place where he was going, that place sure and beautiful with calm shores, a place where, where God reigns on high and praises are sung to him throughout all of eternity. He would have never known if he had not asked, Lord Are you willing to forgive me? And that's the simple fact that for all of us, this gift of grace, this gift of God's righteousness that comes to us through forgiveness is from love and mercy of Almighty God and Jesus. And it simply comes by us turning to Him away from ourselves and towards His face, confessing our wrongdoing and His blamelessness and his purity, and asking him to forgive us and to receive us. And this scripture proves to us again and again and again that we are worthy, and he is willing, and he will do it for us whenever we ask.